Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast, named one of the best commercial real estate podcasts by Business Insider. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. We review all aspects of commercial real estate investing and bring the top people in the industry to share their best tips and lessons learned. And in today's episode, we are covering all of the top things that you should be aware of when negotiating a retail lease as a landlord. We're covering how to talk to the tenants, how to explain to them certain items that are really important to you and will actually sometimes even benefit the tenant. We're chatting with Bethany Babcock. She's the founder and principal at Foresight Commercial Real Estate. She is very knowledgeable on the subject. I really enjoyed this interview. We're actually splitting it into two episodes because the first half is very important for you to understand completely. And then on the second half, we're talking about a few other really important items with regards to negotiating with retail tenants. Here we go. Bethany, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited to have you here because we met via Twitter uh, because you tweeted something super fascinating. It's a topic that I love. First, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Well, thanks, first of all, for having me. I appreciate it. I am. Uh, I live here in San Antonio, and I work with a group of people here in San Antonio. We run a company called Foresight Commercial Real Estate, and we're primarily retail-focused. And at that firm, we manage, lease, and sell shopping centers. We manage about 80. Uh, we lease about 90 of them. And then we represent tenants as well as landlords in leasing up their spaces. And I've been working in the business about 20 years. I've been able to hold positions from accounting to property management, leasing, and sales. So I've been able to do a lot of different things. Uh, but right now, my main focus is running this firm. And then also running a training program that we do in the summer for people who are hoping to get into the industry. Fantastic. As you said, you represent both tenants and landlords. And your tweet was line item by line item what people should be aware of when negotiating a lease. And of course, it can be from both sides, right? So why don't we dive into the items that you tweeted and you can explain why each one is important. And you can also explain if this is more of a landlord's perspective or a tenant's perspective. No problem. Yeah, the majority of this tweet was written in reference to the landlord's perspective and trying to educate the tenant rep side on why a landlord might be pushing back on certain terms in their negotiations. Because some of them seem like they're not very important or that they wouldn't be deal breakers but they carry a lot more weight than they look to have on the surface. And so that was kind of the goal of this post was to educate those who are representing tenants or the tenants themselves when going through these items, this is what they really mean and really do for the landlords. And the goal is not to say, oh, well, then we'll never touch on those items. The goal is really just to understand why a landlord might object to them so that they can come up with more creative solutions or be able to structure the deal in a way that might make them a little bit more agreeable. Um, one of the first things is fixed renewal options. And I think that this one is something that gets thrown out a lot, thrown out a lot when people are negotiating a lease because they become a given. But in this world where now we're seeing rental rates increase really dramatically, especially on retail properties in our area, 
When you're putting fixed renewal options, which let give a tenant the right to renew at a specific price in the future, it's equivalent of putting a cap on the owner's value. That's really important because if the owner wants to sell or do anything, that's the cap. It doesn't get much better than that, right? So that at that point, the value of their property is going to go up and down subject to the market and the cap rates, but it's not going to go up and down based on rent anymore. So that's a bigger ask than I think most tenants realize. So a lot of times they'll ask for, you know, a five-year lease and then they'll want 20 years worth of rent options. That's never a good deal for the landlord. So on that item, of course, we are all now experiencing huge inflation that is much more than what the government tells us. So how do you recommend a landlord negotiating that? And from the landlord side, I tried to do uh, no renewal options or options at market rate. And that's obviously okay. one extreme or the other, right? But one thing I don't do is kind of my line in the sand if I'm representing the landlord. I'll never let a tenant have more time in their option period than they would in their base rent. So if you're doing a 10-year deal, you're not going to get more than 10 years worth of options. I don't like deals and they don't make any sense for landlords where you're signing a five-year lease and you get 15 years worth of options. That doesn't make any sense, but tenants ask for it all the time. Yeah. But then, you know, you get a national tenant that they're going to make that a requirement, no? They can try, right? But I still would require them to at least have the base year be equivalent to their option period. All right. We can move on to the next one. That one we talked about free uh, rent upfront versus lower overall base rent and how to maximize uh, the value of the lease. So one of the things that I think is really important is like if you if the tenant is saying, hey, I really need to be at $20 a square foot and you're thinking, man, that's really tough. I don't think I can make that work. It's not working on my pro forma. One of the better ways to do that and still be able to maximize the value is to tell the tenant, hey, listen, I can't give you $20 a square foot what if I gave you a year's worth of free rent and the first year be at zero and then your effective rent over the period of time will be about 20, but in year two or year three, it'll be $23 a square foot. What that does for the landlord is that when you're capping the value of the property, you're doing it after the free rent period. And so they get the benefit of the higher rent, whereas the tenant still gets the same effective rent. So it's one way to get a win-win scenario for both parties. And that from a tenant's perspective, that doesn't really matter, right? Um, so it's okay that that actually helps the landlord. Is that correct? It depends on their business model, but a lot of tenants I find really like that because it helps them when they need the rent reduction the most, which is in the ramp up period and the establishment period. The third one is buying up the rent to get more TI. Uh, once you go over market rents, it doesn't help anybody. I think a really good example of this is Starbucks. Back in 2006 and 2007, when they were expanding really fast, they were buying up the rent really, really high by getting a ton of TI and having their buildings just delivered to them. But in 2008, when the market adjusted, suddenly you had all of these little Starbucks that were closing and the rents they were paying at that time were 50 bucks a foot. And now it's even much higher. Well, they couldn't replace or backfill those locations, even though it was good real estate with those same rents. And so a lot of landlords run a hardship. So I think sometimes tenants can think that, well, what does it matter if they're getting it back in rent? Well, it definitely matters because it's going to affect the value of their property because the cap rate will reflect the risk. Definitely. The other one is warranties on HVAC and plumbing. Uh, they really, if you're on a landlord side, really need to make sure that it's a one-time event or has an end date. Because if those issues go on indefinitely, then uh, that means every buyer or lender that underwrites that property is going to have to underwrite that possible event. If you have an end date, 
uh, within one year or two years, they can put it in. And once that time period has passed, that risk subsides. But if it's ongoing, then it's going to diminish the value of the building because it has to get underwritten each year or in a conservative manner, you know, every few years, however often they think it might occur. And then one of the, my favorite ones is we get this a lot of times from inexperienced tenants or representatives for tenants is the right of first refusal to purchase the property. And tenants shouldn't really get those because first, the tenant isn't always the most qualified buyer. And when you're doing something to sell the building, the last thing you need is to get permission from someone and to wait. It's going to destroy the value of the building because you're not able to market to its fullest. Also, an agent isn't likely going to want to take and expend all the effort to market the property, knowing that at any given time, the tenant might come in and purchase it and their efforts will be mute. Um, but most of the time, I think tenants fail to realize how uh, difficult those um, the qualification process is in order to be able to purchase a property. That may work really well for single tenants properties, but for multi-tenant, it's, it's very realistic assumption to see that you can get that in your in your letter of intent. I see it in single tenant and it still creates a problem. There needs to be an end date because it can be used as leverage for the tenant to come back later and say, we want to buy it. And then all the other buyers disappear and then they retrade and they try to buy it at a lower price. And that does happen pretty often. Mm, so is that why they normally ask for it? I don't know. I think a lot of them think that it gives them control. It gives them an option. Who wouldn't want it to know that that was a possibility? I think a lot of tenants have the dreams and ambitions to want to own real estate um, and just want to know that that's a possibility at some point. Some of them have more devious plans than others. I wouldn't give them a right of first refusal because that means you're going to have to market it, get the offers, and then they get to counter those offers, right? That means all your marketing effort, all your things have been wasted. And then you have to go through the whole process of trying to market it again if that purchase doesn't pan out. Um, so I wouldn't ever give them a right of first refusal. Uh, oh, okay. Another way to maybe do it would be maybe a one-time purchase, purchase option. But even that gets really difficult to evaluate and determine what the market value should be at that point. Uh, renewal options that exceed the base year. We kind of touched on this one when we were talking about number one, but renewal options that exceed the base year in length really is just a financial instrument for the tenant to hedge their own. It's a hedge against inflation for them. And so they actually cost the landlord more than they gain from the lease and can limit their value. We kind of talked about that a little bit when we when we talked about number one, but those were fixed renewal options. Really any renewal option will do that. And so it's really important that that just means the tenant has the right to exercise control and the landlord can't do anything about it, right? So knowing and understanding options will always benefit the tenant is really important. Mm -hmm. They never benefit the landlord, but I think that, that gets confused a lot of times and they get thrown in there. And, you know, Walgreens is a great example. You'll have a deal where they'll have a 75 year lease and they'll have 75 one-year options. That's really difficult because they can renew one year at a time. You'll never be able to get financing. You'll never be able to sell that deal. Oh my gosh. And never be able to predict if you need to start negotiating or marketing that property because it takes what, at least two years to get something done, no, for a new tenant. They hold all the leverage in that case. And so it's extremely difficult. And there's a lot of leases like that floating out there. Okay. Another thing that we see is where people will strike out things like the management fee or the CAM language when they're putting the LOIs. And what that does is it creates something that's called slippage. And slippage leads to a lower value of the property. And it's a lot more disproportionate to the share. So you may think, oh, I'm only excluding maybe $3,000 in expenses. But if you cap that amount at the cap that the property is trading, you're actually asking for a lot more than you realize. So I think it's really important for tenants to understand how a property is valued 
because when that little bit of slippage occurs, it creates a whole giant mess um, on the ownership side for when they're trying to sell or refinance. Because of the NOI is affected, obviously. Correct. Correct. Another thing, um, excluding uses or overly overly aggressive exclusives, it reduces the marketability of the remaining of the property. Right now I'm working on a deal that was anchored by Target. And that particular deal is extremely difficult to lease because it has so many restrictions as to what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. Well, if you get to the point where they're so burdensome, it's no longer protecting the tenant. It's actually hurting the center because then your, your pool of possible tenants gets shrunk so far that if those aren't a good fit, you end up with a vacant center. What's worse to them, right? That's your yeah. next to a bakery you didn't want to be next to or that the building is vacant, right? And so sometimes tenants can get a little aggressive without thinking about the holistic view of that. Definitely. We will continue this interview next week and we will cover how to have a conversation with a potential tenant and explain to them how some items can hurt you as a landlord and also sometimes even the tenant themselves. We will also cover tenant improvement, how much should you give and how you should receive that in terms of rent. And if you haven't already, make sure to sign up for our newsletter on our website at monicarlorei.com. We send weekly newsletters on all of the details of each episode. And sometimes we also send the deals that we are currently working on. It's at monicarlorei.com on top of the page. And I will see you next time.